Welcome to MindLob, the hive mind antidote for conservative Christians that want to form their own conclusions. And now your host, Ken Carroll. Welcome back to MindLob. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion of evolution. And I recommend that if you did not listen to the previous podcast, that you jump in there and check that one out before listening to this one, because this podcast will definitely piggyback on where that one left off at. Now, before we get started, I would like to uh, ask you, if you haven't already, to go to mindlob.com and wait a few seconds and plug in your email address, and we will send you some special graphics and information as they become more available as we dig deeper. So with that being said, I'm going to jump right in and open the discussion back up. So the problem gets more complicated when we look at the evolutionary processes, we also, as we dig deeper, we start to realize that certain life forms have additional um, characteristics that are, are huge, like everything from defense mechanisms. Uh, we have different, like chameleons, you know, we have uh, beetles that have like this pyrotechnic uh, defense mechanism. We have all these little nuances, and to realize that there is no blueprint. You know, when life started out, first we don't, no one knows how life started, how it jump started. And so for you to say a primordial soup or, uh, or whatever, these were the circumstances, basically those are kind of um, anecdotal um, you know, we we may think we know, but no one ultimately knows what that environment is. And so as we dig deeper into this and you start to see that these special creatures have these special characteristics, but there was no goal in mind. Like when the first mutated cell was migrating toward venom, there was no ultimate goal of producing venom. There, there was just this this mutation and then mutation upon mutation and mutation upon mutation and the bad got thrown out the good was kept and for some reason those good mutations even though they weren't fully realized it was going to be venom or a color change or whatever then the biological entity held on to it now why they held on to it and how the the biological entity would realize that that particular cellular mutation was going to be ultimately good versus one ultimately bad without realizing where it's going because you know just like a house there's no blueprint here guys there's 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 no blueprint where it's going we're going to make venom we're going to make wings we're going to make hands we're going to make fingernails we're going to make eyelashes none of that existed in the evolutionary paradigm all strictly accidents strictly mutations over long long periods of time that equals everything that we see today as a programmer you have to account for everything in a decision tree like you can't assume anything is automatically understood you have to define every small nuance in a computer program in order for the program to understand what you're trying to tell it so you know just down to very core if this then that statements have to be accounted for so 
when I look at the transitionals and when I look at the, the pieces that they're calling transitional and I see these huge, huge gaps and no clear understanding of getting between those two and then we're having to kind of say, okay, this is related to that and so because they have... Um, similar genetics over a period of time and and there's this conjecture to draw the line from point a to point b then you kind of lose me a little bit because i'm going i want to see why this is better than any other worldview belief system i want to understand how empirically we can say this or do that and there's just not that information out there and so even when you use the tools to kind of build the bridge between these these points, the tools need to be heavily scrutinized too uh, that are used to even measure distances and, you know, time variations. And then, you know, you got to ask the real questions about uniformitarianism. And because, you know, we make fun of things like spontaneous generation. For, for those of you who don't know, at one point they thought life just spontaneously generated. And so they ran some tests and they were, no, it really wasn't. There were just, you know, the whatever was contaminated by this and those were really eggs and, you know, these entities did not just pop out of anything. But at some point, you have, just think of mindless, basic elements that are just that. And then you have them form an entity on the level that seems to be tantamount to spontaneous generation. And so I don't know really how to get around that, but that's very unpalatable for a guy like me as I'm trying to, to discern how to process uh, materialism. So then I started to, my mind started going in another direction because I'm like, I really want to understand this and I really want to process why we are where we are with accepting um, materialistic, you know, biological evolution. And so I started looking at ways that people were trying to test not just evolution, but the origin of life and how it came to be. And so I thought it was kind of a paradox. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I want to throw this at you. So what we have is we're contending that there is no supernatural intelligence that sparked life in the beginning and that de that, that kind of narrated whatever it was to give us all the stuff that we've got today living in our environment. And so scientifically what we do is we apply logic, we apply intelligence in order to try to prove that there is no intelligence that created what was there. And so you see what we're doing is we're contaminating the scientific experiment by the minute that we institute any level of intelligence. Because what we're doing is we're instituting what we're saying wasn't there to begin with. And so the moment that you use any anything that's logic, anything that comprises of logic, any kind of kit, any kind of sterilization, any kind of whatever systems you're going to put in process, the minute that you control it, the minute that you apply logic to it, other than just trying to replicate a hypothetical environment, then 
you're essentially proving that intelligence is required to even get to the point to where you're at. And even at that, we're failing miserably at coming up with a uh, solution for what we see in the world today. So I I think that that paradox is um, very important to kind of understand that in order for you to prove no intelligence, you have to prove by using no intelligence. So how would you even begin to do that? I don't have a clue. To be honest with you, I just know that it just feels hypocritical to apply apply an intelligent source to prove something that that we say does not require an intelligent source. It just seems odd to me. And the magic variable in, in evolution then seem to digress to time. And there being enough time to allow for all the bad mutations to be filtered through and then the good mutations to stack or to build upon each other and then create this diversity that we have today. And so time is, is very interesting to me because if you look at a lot of the equations and when they say, okay, it takes this much time to do this or to form this state in this process under evolution, um, the numbers are, are astronomical. They're, they're pretty huge. And if you throw in things like the KT extinction, which could affect those things, then I, I even have more questions. I, I seem to have less answers and just more of those. So then I get into what I think both the theist and the, the atheist, the materialist, are guilty of. What I believe they're both guilty of is backfilling the story to meet their ends. Like, for example, the atheist will accuse the theist of reinterpreting the book of Genesis based on current scientific understanding. Now, I think that's true. Now, I do think that uh, they're, they're redefining a caricature, a caricature of Genesis based upon a interpretation that they're trying to impose rather than letting the uh, the language of Genesis start and stop where it starts and stop. There's, there's, a, there's the same problem we have within the theistic environment. But the problem that we, we seem to have is that also exists in uh, the world of uh, atheistic evolution. So to give you an idea, when they start looking at the numbers and they start looking at how improbable and I'm using the word improbable, but, but don't get confused. They're, they're on the, the level of impossible when you start stacking the number of zeros. I just don't want to use impossible because I'm not sure where that point begins and ends. But I know when you put all these zeros to the nth degree, at some point, it's just not going to happen. I mean, when you start meeting the total number of atoms in our galaxy, you know, the odds are less than that then, you know, I'm still using the word improbable, but I, I just don't know if improbable is the right word or not to use when you hit that number. And so then we get into, let's backfill that data with ideas like a multiverse, a multiple universe scenario. And so then we, we back everything way up to the beginning. We, go, we don't really have enough time based on what we're seeing mathematically. And so now we're getting this multiverse theory brought up which could be argued that we're just trying to find ways to add more variables 
to accommodate what we're seeing in our reality of this these processes so it appears that both sides are kind of reinventing the wheel as they go along and to me I find that unpalatable regardless of a theistic interpretation of an atheist or an atheistic interpretation you know the the problem that I have as I'm going through this thought process is that I don't see any objective data objective information that says we know what's outside the universe we know how time acts outside the universe we know that multiverses happen we know these things I've talked to some really good uh, materialist that I'm friends with and a lot of times they'll give me uh, an anecdotal answer in terms of how the the uh, the coding would work or how it would would start in the beginning or what would happen to allow evolution to trigger or whatever may have you the mechanisms for evolution but when I ask them for specifics I never get them when I look online when I watch debates when I download lectures there's nothing there and so when I'm digging and I'm trying to go okay what's going on here and then I see these data points and then I see uh, graphics that are disingenuous or videos that are brought up that are also feels disingenuous because what it's doing is it's giving students the idea that the origin of life is around the corner or it's just a few little tweaks that need to be understood and in reality we seem to be really far away from getting to a point to where we can understand it and then if you couple that with the transitionals and the interpretations and then you look at the the mechanisms and the software and everything with it that would would have to all kind of work together and then recognize that these evolutionary processes also recognize things in nature such as color and then it reacts even to those things I think that's that's really complex and I find it highly unlikely and when I say unlikely it's not that I'm going well in my mind I have to disprove evolution to cling on to some Christian worldview that I want to hold on to I really don't know at the end of the day if the data came back and it was palatable and it made a lot of sense I don't even know how much it would impact me because then I would start looking at well what does kind mean in Genesis or what does these things mean biblically and then I would I would start to look at those aspects but I certainly wouldn't want to um, I wouldn't want to deny the objective but at the same time I don't want to affirm the subjective just because I'm being told to affirm the subjective based upon a single interpretation that seems to be backed up with a lot of uh, conjecture then I started to dive into what some are calling practical like real uh, evolution in process like for example if you see a an entity that's changing in in lifetimes 
such as uh, moss wings color changing or you have these 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 uh, changes that are happening within a group birds you know birds beaks getting bigger or smaller or you see these subtle changes and they go well that that's a, a baby step in this macro or or biological form changing to something completely different but when I started looking at it and I would go well you know there are recessive and dominant genes already present within those entities but that's a lot different than if you're going to take a cold-blooded creature and move it into a warm-blooded uh, a warm-blooded creature or change some of its its coding that was never there before in a recessive or dominant gene and so you know it's it's one thing to say you know uh, a a trait is being eliminated because the environment's changed and now uh, something that has dark wings is now easier prey than before to its predator and quite another thing to say it's changing its form completely or growing wings or developing this or developing that over a period of time regardless of how long that period of time is so losing information or mitigating information appears to be more reasonable within our world and more logical than introducing a lot of additional coding and those mutations and all those processes that would be associated with it. These these are called bait and switch. Is is kind of what when you look at this. And so people who believe in in a belief system are more apt to just go along with something like this, while someone that is not part of the the belief system looks at it and goes, well, that that doesn't look right. And now all, all worldviews are like this. So where is my conclusion? And I know I'll throw a lot at you, but I really, you need to, you need to dig into this yourself if um, atheistic evolution is a block between you and Genesis. And you need to be honest with yourself, and you need to really look at the data, and you need to become a very critical thinker, and you need to be careful not to fall into one ditch or the other ditch. Because, again, I don't believe that materialists uh, overall are out to get you. I don't believe that other religions are out to get you. I think that we're all kind of stammering through the world together trying to make sense of what we see and, and what's going on. And in my opinion, the only way to narrow it down and get closer is to find out which one is the most coherent within the world as we know it. This is why also I think subjective and objective morality are huge components. It's not a conclusive test. You know, you could still have subjective morality and, you know, in, in, but if it overall makes more sense. But, but you see, the problem is, is that it doesn't. And since it doesn't make overall sense, then you, you want to critically look at this and say, okay, does this make sense? And if this doesn't make sense, then you have to ask yourself, why is it? Is it because I am biased? I am scared that my belief system isn't right, and so I'm going to reject it and make the villain out of these other guys? Or are there other reasons that I'm thinking what I think? The only other factor that I put into my equation topically, 
I mean, that, that I would want to throw into this podcast is the idea that both the theist and the atheist cherry-pick their, their resources. This happens regardless. If you take the, the atheist, they're going to reject Behe, who has his irreducible complexity, meaning that um, to, to create an evolutionary process where two components are dependent upon each other in order to realize their function is a pretty good argument, I think. Um, however, he's rejected because, and, and, it, and again, the, the argument for the rejection appears to be more anecdotal and less um, intellectual. And the thing is, is that happens within both communities. So if you hear someone who has an interpretation of Genesis, what you'll do is you'll find out historical characters. They'll affirm the ones that, that agree with what they believe, but then they'll deny the ones that don't agree with them, or they will choose to go along with the quote that they had said that more looks favorably upon their interpretation. And so it's very tricky uh, waters as you go through not only uh, atheism, and but also within different um, venues of theism. This is why you have denominationalism and you have all these things that go on because people kind of cherry pick these these data points and then they form views and then attract like-minded people i.e. tribalism which we all know does occur so I know I threw a lot at you and this is not intended to be an exhaustive you know review or critique of uh, atheistic evolution it's not intended to be it's more intended to just show that once you start digging you're going to see that there are a lot of reasons to go back to the idea of a superintelligence. You know, uh, you can you can call your superintelligence superintelligence, you can call them God, you can call, you can call them whatever, but there, there's a, a rational reason to believe that there is a superintelligence behind what we see today. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into some, some pretty interesting ideas that are even endorsed by the likes of like Elon Musk and some other people for example just good for discussion purposes but the point is is that people are looking at the world that we live in in new ways and these ways are different than even what one or two generations ago we're looking at so to wrap things up my biggest concern is not whether materialism is somehow uprooted the viability of God uh, this seems to be more of an exercise in understanding that humans, well, we're humans. I'm more concerned that materialism has become a religion where their god is chance, and their priests are the ones that claim that they can interpret the sacred text of materialism that can only be embraced by those indoctrinated by the classroom, which can comprise of the oldest tricks in the trade, bullying, and uh, weapons such as clout and tenure. In the end, we just need to strip away all the conjecture, strip away all the interpretations, all the graphics, all the both ways, and we just need to have facts. And then we all need to be able to look at those facts and then determine for ourselves if they fit within a worldview or not. There's no science of the gaps, and there's no God of the gaps. They're only gaps. 
with a fleeting glimpse of the past in the form of an extreme finite amount of evidence. So, does the evidence exist for naturalistic, uh, materialistic evolution? No. Is there evidence that can be constructed within a narrative to create an interpretation to support the concept of evolution? Well, that answer is yes. Are theists guilty of forming their own interpretations beyond the scope of the Bible? Well, that answer is yes, too. At least these are my conclusions drawn upon two decades of looking at uh, theism and atheism and doing my own digging. I do encourage you to do your own research, do your own homework, and look beyond your own worldview when assessing it. I'm convinced that there is a lot more evidence and a lot more cohesiveness to the idea that a superintelligence, which is God, and I believe it's the God of the Bible, and he is responsible for everything that we know. So with that being said, I'm going to wrap it up. I uh, thank you again so much for allowing me into your homes during this time. And please don't forget to go to mylob.com. Just wait for a few seconds. That window is going to come up and plug in your email address. I want to send you some special information as it becomes more available. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you. Next time. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast or visit mindlob.com to learn more.